Well, good morning. It's great to have you all here. Hope that you uh, brought your life vest on your way to church this morning. Uh, uh, as uh, Becky was saying, we're going to be uh, finishing up uh, our series here. And, um, you know, we started this off uh, in the series Beyond Religion. And Ryan kicked it off with this idea of kind of understanding religion in this way, that religion is depending on my own resume for righteousness. But moving beyond religion is depending on Christ's resume for religion. And then last week, I talked a little bit more about just like, how do we live that out? And we talked about this faith aspect and, and kind of the differences uh, between the two. And this morning, uh, I wanna continue in that and uh, just really get to like a very practical side in how do we live this new kind of beyond religion uh, spiritual life out. And I hope that this morning uh, has a really practical aspect to it. Um, I want to read the passage uh, that we're going to use uh, here and, and we'll unpack it some more, but I, but I want to just have us look at it uh, in a larger chunk. And so if you would, turn in your Bibles to uh, 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. And while you're turning there, let me just uh, say this. Uh, a couple of things about this passage. It uh, talks about this truth and this truth is uh, Christ and the love of Christ and what that means. And it also uses the, the word word several times uh, throughout this. And oftentimes we think about the word as being like uh, my Bible, maybe in its totality. Uh, but what's being referenced here, the use of, of this is uh, referring both to Christ uh, and in some instances, some of the specific teachings of uh, Christ in this. So uh, let's read this passage, and then um, we'll kind of unpack it uh, some here this morning. But I just, I wanted you to hear it uh, in whole before we unpack it. And I'm going to start with verse 18. Uh, it says this, um, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but, re, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, he writes these words, and again, we'll, we'll unpack them uh, some more here, but he writes these words uh, to a group of people who had this long-standing uh, understanding of religion, centuries and centuries and centuries of it. They have become followers of Christ, but there's this struggle that they're going through because there was so much about religion that was ingrained in their culture and their understanding of following God. And now all of these New Testament writers and the apostles are like pushing them forward into this new kind of spiritual life that goes beyond religion as they understood it. And there was these struggle points that they have. And as you look at it, you realize, you know, in some ways, um, it's not just their struggle. It's the struggle of humanity because there's a part of us, right, as human beings, that even if we didn't come from a religious background, there's a part of us, if we think about our own righteousness in whatever way, we're kind of drawn. We like the idea that, that I would depend in my own resume for that righteousness. That, like, that feels secure to us a little bit. 
And so I think there's something that he says here that I wanna unpack that will be really helpful for us in this. But let me illustrate this struggle, this struggle that we have of going from like religion to this other spiritual kind of life. And, and I'll illustrate it in this way. Uh, years ago, I got to go on a ropes course with a group of uh, people, a team that I was a part of. And we went to this ropes course and the instructor, you know, uh, gave us all helmets. We got helmets and a harness. And on the harness, there was like this short tether with a carabiner on the end of it. And he, uh, he said, you know, you won't need the, the tether with the carabiner on it just yet. We're going to go through the first part and then we're going to reach this point where I'll give you some more instructions about how to use this thing. And so we went through the very first segment and there was probably like five or six segments, go through the first segment. And uh, it was, it had like rope bridges and you know, you'd walk on this stuff, but everything, it had these like rails that you could hang on to and the rope bridges went from wider to skinnier and you're like, ooh, you know, but it wasn't a real big deal until we got to this one platform. And then from this platform, we were gonna climb this ladder to the very top of the highest platform they had in this thing. And so that's when he said, so that, uh, that uh, short rope with the carabiner, this is where you're gonna use that. And he said, you're gonna climb to the top of this ladder. And when you get to the top of this ladder, there's gonna be a cable up there that you're gonna hook the carabiner in. Um, and you'll need that uh, to finish out the rest of this course. And we're like, oh, great, no problem. Well, in climbing that ladder to the top of that tower, that's when you realized, right, why you needed that tether and carabiner. And there was this interesting moment because as you're climbing up it, like you're just like, I got this, I got this, no big, you know, no problem. You know, there's a lot of bravado uh, with everyone. But the higher and higher you get, the more you feel that hype. And as you got up there, you, the, like the trees were swaying, you know, and, and I found myself as I was going up the ladder, gripping the rails of the ladder tighter and tighter, you know, because it's just like, okay, this doesn't feel, this feels a little uneasy. And then you get to the top, and the ladder stops like at the top of, the, of the, this platform. The platform was the highest part. And, and you clip into the cable and then you're supposed to just like step up off this ladder up onto the platform, but you, you're like wanting to grab some sort of rail or something. And there are no rails. Like you're, it's just like, and there's this moment where you're just like, I, okay, I know I have the tether and I know I'm hooked to this cable and I'm sure it's safe, but you know, it's just kind of a wobbly rope on this cable that slides around. Those rails feel so much better, right, in this moment. And, and you just, you have this moment of pause, right? And intellectually, you're like, you know, this is fine. I'm tethered into this cable, I'm great. But that's not how, that's not like what the rest of your body does, right? Your hands are like, no, let's not let go of these rails. This feels a lot safer. Um, and that's a little bit, I think, uh, uh, that describes this feeling uh, that, the, that that early church in the first century experienced. And I think it's the kind of feeling that we experience at times because there's this moment where it's like, okay, it's like the New Testament authors and Jesus's teaching, they're like pushing us to say, okay, let go of those rails. And in Christ and in faith, you depend that like Christ is that tether. He's got you. You don't feel it, right? In fact, the thing I thought of was, you don't really get to feel how well the tether has you unless you actually fall. And then you get to find out if it's gonna hold you. There's something about that railing that it's just like fixed and stiff and I can wiggle it and it feels, you know, I can test that thing, right? But the tether thing, like, oh, right? Uh, in fact, at one point uh, when we had gotten past that, I uh, looked back and there was another group that was coming up 
And there was one guy that got to the top of that ladder and the instructor was already on the platform and he was saying, you know, I think the guy's name was Dave or something. He's like, Dave, okay, come on up. And Dave couldn't do anything, didn't say anything. And he's like, okay, we need you to like, it's okay, just, you know, put one hand. And like, he couldn't even get his mouth to work. And, and you can tell it's just like, really? I don't know. Like, it's just, and there can be this thing where it's like, you hear us teach something out of the New Testament and it's this life of faith, like leave religion behind. And it's like, okay, that feels a lot like, well, are we just saying anything goes? Are we saying like there's no, like right and wrong don't matter anymore? Like how, like how do you choose? What like, are we, are we throwing morality out the window? Are we, and I think here's the question that I wanna center on this morning is, are you saying that a life of faith has no moral compass? Because you know what? Oftentimes religion feels like this kind of moral compass that leads us, guides us, helps us move forward. And the short answer is no. We do have a moral compass. But it is a moral compass, and I, and I plan on unpacking that moral compass here this morning. It, you're going to have to, at moments, move past some fear and trust it in a different way. But I promise you, the New Testament authors have filled the New Testament with this kind of moral compass that helps us. But it's also the kind of thing where you don't get to hang on to religion and still move forward into this new thing. There's this thing where you have to let go of the other. In fact, uh, look back at the passage. Look back at verse 18. Look at what he says. And remember, these were people that came from this tradition of religion that had been passed on and on. It says, you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to your ancestors. He's saying you got to let go of it. And yes, religion has a kind of compass. And yes, there are, there are good things about it that can give guidance and stuff. But at the end of the day, Every New Testament author would describe it as not being enough or describe it as being empty or to hang on to it keeps you from the experience of something else in there. We have to let go of it. But we have another compass. And what I wanna do is I wanna, I wanna walk through this compass and quite literally, I, I wanna teach you how to use it. And I believe it comes right out of this passage. There'd be other passages that I think walk this out, but this passage does a beautiful job of walking out. And I wanna walk through this passage and literally just like teach all of us how we can use this moral compass that uh, we have. And it has two parts to it. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best job to draw a compass uh, here. Um, it'll be a really simple compass. There's the compass, all right? All right, this is north. Right there, that's north, right? Um, uh, it has two basic parts to it, right? There is a part that points us to true north because any good compass, right? The, the main thing it does is it points to what is true north in this. But the other good thing about a compass is, is it will also give you indicators of, of if you're not pointed towards uh, true north, right? That, that, that's what a good compass uh, does. And uh, to begin with in this, look at verse uh, 21, because it gives us a description of this uh, compass we're using. It says this, and this is speaking of Christ, right? Through him, you believe in God, 
who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God, all right? So first thing is this, the, the compass that we uh, trust in, um, uh, it is a Christ compass, right? That true north is found in Christ. That's, that's what this life is about. This is, this is uh, who we are. But he starts off with these two elements, uh, and, there, and there's three uh, on this that we'll look at. But the first two uh, are this. He starts with, uh, what do we have in Christ or in God? Uh, we have hope and we have faith. And so the first one uh, here uh, is hope. And what I want to say is, uh, when it comes to using this compass, start, start with hope. And you know, at its very basic, uh, hope is looking uh, to what you most want in Christ. And he talks about a number of these things in the passage. Go back and read the passage again uh, on your own sometime. He talks about like, uh, we have been redeemed by Christ. That's a hope, we look to Christ. That is what we hope, that we really are redeemed, that we are made new, uh, we are made a new creation in Christ, that what he has made us into is not perishable, but imperishable, like it can't be lost. We have something eternal and beautiful in Christ, right? It, like it starts there. We have this hope to work out of. Now, here's the beautiful thing of, uh, about this. If you start with hope and what you hope in, hope has a way of cultivating desire. As you start with hope, you are also cultivating desire for all the things that Christ has done in and for you. And we wanna orient our lives toward those things that Christ is saying, yes, this is what I've done in you. This is what I want for you. Now, he also talks about faith. Um, faith, um, and I'll write that up here. Faith, faith is acting in what we hope for. Faith is action oriented, right? So we start with hope, but then we act in faith. That's the second part of this compass. You act in faith. So there's things that you hope in. And now we begin to act in faith. And the, the remarkable thing about faith is it gives us these really good questions uh, that help us take those steps. So if what we hope in is really true, if you really are secure in Christ, how would you then live, right? And think about moments where you might feel insecure. Maybe there's uh, something happening at work and you realize, gosh, this feels a little bit threatening. Maybe, maybe a project you're working on is uh, like going the wrong direction or uh, maybe something you were seeking to try and achieve and it's not getting there. And it's just like all of these worries and these fears and like, am I secure? And it's like, okay, what would it be like even when that is happening, if you knew, you know what? Things can go wrong at work, but at the end of the day, I am. I am secure in Christ. And if I really am secure in Christ, how would that change how I show up at work? How would that change how I interact with my boss? How would that change how I interact with my team? See, all of a sudden, you, when you start with hope and then you act in faith, like you are training yourself how to make decisions, 
how to give yourself direction that will point you towards uh, Christ in this. It becomes a really powerful thing. Now, uh, there's one more uh, element uh, to the kind of the, the true north part of this compass that he gives us. Uh, look at verse 22. He says this. He says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart, right? So the next thing about this compass that we understand is it is love, right? That, that ultimately like this progression, if faith doesn't take you towards love and you see this throughout the New Testament, right? This is a common thing. Then, then something like, then something needs to be recalibrated with our faith if it's not uh, taking us uh, to love next. And so um, we start with hope, we act in faith, but it will always lead to expressing love. Express love, right? That, that will take you to true north every single time, friends, right? If you can... Uh, and a sincere faith too, right? right? What he means by, the, or I'm sorry, a sincere love. Sincere love means it's not just that I will love you or treat you in a certain way just because there's something I want to get from you. Sincere love says, I will love you for the sake of loving you. I will do something good in your life for this, just for your sake not just because I'll get something out of it, right? There's nothing manipulative uh, about this. Now, it starts here, but can I say, you know, this, this sometimes can get really tricky and difficult. It like, you can have that point where you're holding on to the rails of religion and it's like to step up on that platform of, of a Christ compass can like be like, <gasps> like, and I'll give you an example of this. So uh, years and years ago, when I, uh, I helped start a church in uh, Michigan, I went from Arizona to Chicago, then I went to Michigan and helped start this church. And in the process of, of getting this church started, there was a group of people already there that were working on some, uh, some basic things before I actually showed up. I be, uh, became the pastor of this church. And there was this uh, young couple uh, that had been dating for a while. Neither of, neither of them were Christians. Neither of them were followers of Christ, didn't hardly know anything about it, but they got to know um, several people that were in this community that would be starting the church. And they decided their names were uh, Teresa and Casey, and they wanted to get married. And uh, the folks there were like, that's awesome. You guys are a great couple. And when we get a pastor here and we get this church started, like he'll do the wedding for you. And I show up and I meet him. They're wonderful. I'm like, yes, I'll do the wedding for you. Right? This is a wonderful thing, right? Um, then the most terrible thing in the world happened. And I say that facetiously, okay? But it sure felt like it at the time, right? Uh, Teresa becomes a follower of Christ. And you're going like, what's, what's your problem, right? Okay, here's why. Um, and some of you will relate to this and others of you will be just like scratching your head and going, that is so weird, Glenn, okay? But others of you are gonna get this. So there is a passage in the Bible and it says, do not be unequally yoked. How many of you know that passage? Yeah, okay, so you may know what I'm talking about here. So I grew up in this church, right? And uh, we were a little more religious back then when, than we are now. And we kind of had a rule by default, right? 
And the way we interpreted that passage and applied it, and, and, I, and I'm not saying that this is bad, like there's some really good common sense to this, but a Christian and a non-Christian getting married, right? That can have some inherent issues with it. But um, if you have any long-term background in a conservative church, you know that like, that's like a rule, right? You, if you're, if you're a Christian, you don't marry a non-Christian. And the idea that a pastor would perform such a wedding, right, was completely out of bounds, right? Just that was like that. You just lose your job over that at any church, right? And so here I was getting ready to launch this church. I have told this couple, yes, I'd love to do your wedding. Then she becomes a Christian and just wrecks the whole thing, right? Just like, Teresa, like, what were you thinking, right? Become a follower, right? Um, I say that facetiously, but like on the inside, I'm just like, what am I gonna do? What's gonna happen when all those people back in Tucson hear that I've become some crazy radical preacher that's like doing unequally yoked weddings? I've just, I just, you know, God won't let me do this. This is, I just like, and I remember just going like, okay, how am I gonna, and I finally sat down with him and I just, and I walked through it and I just said it in the nicest way. And I said, you know, here's this verse and this thing and I, you know, and this and that and just, so, and they're looking at me like, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. We're really confused. Like, what do you mean? And so, and it's just like, so I can't do your wedding, right? And it was really interesting to watch as Casey goes, oh, well, that fits. I, you, you know, you, you're, that's your religion. That's what you got to do. I'll respect that. Teresa, on the other hand, was absolutely crushed by it. She was a brand new Christian. She, she had this brand new family of believers. All she could think about is how she believed that someday God would work in Casey's heart and that he would also become a follower of Christ and that they were in this beautiful, new, grace-filled, accepting group of people and the love of Christ, this amazing thing. And now everything about what I just said made her feel rejected and shamed and feeling like she actually didn't understand the church or Christianity at all, and that maybe Christ was something completely other than what she thought. It just crushed her. But I stood by my principles. I, I grabbed a hold of that handrail and wouldn't let go. And then a funny thing happened. God was like, okay, let go of the handrail and get up on the platform, Glenn. And I'm just like, what are you talking about, God? That's a funny illustration, you know? And it's just like, what if, what if, Glenn, I actually want you to do that wedding? No, you don't want that, God. That, you wouldn't want that at all. That'd be wrong, God. <laughs> I found myself telling God what was right and wrong in that moment. It's kind of a strange deal, right? My prayer life got really messed up for a while as there was this thing about Christ in my own heart, like pushing me another direction. And yet I had this other compass that was just like, no, this is wrong. I have a Bible verse. I have a situation. They match up. This is the way it needs to be. And God kept like pushing on my heart. And all of a sudden, right, starting with this sense of hope, like this, like what I would hope for is that Tree and, Crazy, uh, and Casey would see Christ for who Christ really is. And I don't want them to feel this kind of pain. I like all this thing. And like all of a sudden it's like, okay, and so what would a step of faith be that would be an expression of love in their lives? Long story short, I ended up coming full circle sitting down with both of them in the living room of my house 
and saying, okay, I need to apologize to you because I'm struggling with this, but here's what I believe God is pointing me toward. I'd like to do your wedding. And friends, and I know for some of you, it's like, Glenn, why was that such a big deal to you? But can I tell you, I would rather like swing from a hundred foot tree house thing, a tower, like, like, like heights would be nothing compared to the moment that, it, that like letting go of this tradition that was in this way. And again, I still believe like, like there's something good in all of that uh, about uh, being equally yoked in your marriage. But I turned it into this legalistic thing that just wasn't where God was. It's interesting, I did their wedding and it wasn't but a couple months later that Casey became a follower of Christ in that. And I watched God work in the most beautiful way with that. But sometimes, sometimes it can be this hard thing. You know, uh, one of the other areas I see this uh, in uh, that I get asked questions about on a semi-regular basis, it used to be I'd only be asked questions about this from like young people. Right? And it has to do with like dating and physical standards, right? You know, how far is too far, right? And I remember going all the way back to youth group and all, and we would come up with all the different, you know, uh, rules and things. And, you know, like anything from the neck up is okay, but anything from the neck down is not okay. And then there's, then you find reasons why that doesn't work very good. I remember it was still at this same church and we had a little bitty, just started the church. We had a little bitty youth group and probably a year into it, we had enough kids that they did like a lock-in and, uh, you know, and, and, and we kind of had our, rules and I think the, like the rule I had or whatever was just like like if guys and girls are together everyone like all your clothes have to be on right and then that, then you know and, and when it's time to go to sleep and clothes are coming off like opposite different places and then I had a bunch of moms that had a surprise lunch for me and apparently there's a lot of things you can do even with your clothes on that should probably be out of bounds and I was just like man there's just like not a good rule for this thing uh, lately I've had more senior adults I kid you not the last time I had this conversation was with senior adults and like okay how far is too far and I'm just like ah oh, this sounds I'm feeling weird having this conversation with you right now in this thing right it's just like it's just it's a thing and and like and you can make those rules and they think, but here at the end of the day, friends, at the end of the day, right? It's right. Even with that discussion, it's got to start with what do you really hope for in that relationship in Christ? And what are you willing to act in and with faith that expresses love and not love, right? And in this question, it's not like, you know, the love you're going to get, right? It is what is really loving that person, in an honorable and valuable way. Can you do that, see? And that becomes this kind of moral compass. It begins pointing to true north in a beautiful way. Now, here's the, here's the thing that I uh, love so much about uh, this uh, passage here is we could leave it right here. I could leave it right there and say, right? Start with hope, act in faith and express love. And that will take you a long ways. But there are moments, right? A good compass will help you pick up on moments where it's off, where maybe you think you're going the right direction, but you're really not. And so what he does uh, here that I like, and the reason we use this passage is because now he, he starts chapter two. Like if all of this is true and here's your compass, let me add something to your compass that'll give you an indicator 
if things are off a little bit that will help you know to readjust back to this. So uh, look with me um, to uh, uh, look at, flip over to chapter two. Flip over to chapter two. I want you to see uh, this, where he uh, walks this uh, out here. And let me find it in here. I cannot, I don't know what I did with my notes here. I'm just gonna read it and then I'll find my notes and we'll pick up where we go here. Uh, here's what he says. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it, you may grow up in your salvation. So uh, think about what he walks them through in this moment. He walks them through um, these other things that are really, uh, in fact, he lists five things here. And it's not that it has to be these five things, but he gives us these five things that are kind of the anti-love, anti-faith, uh, anti-hope kinds of things. And if you pick one of these coming up in your life, that is a great indicator that, and as he puts it, that you need to like put it away so that you can focus back on what true north uh, is in all of this. Um, so think about the first one. He talks about malice here. And when you think about malice, malice is just the desire for something bad to happen to someone else, or it is the intent. Doesn't even need to necessarily happen. It's just like when you find in your own heart or mind, you wish something uh, bad would happen to them. Like that's not love, right? That's, that's, that's the opposite of this. Uh, think about this, right? Maybe the place this happens the most uh, with many of us is when we're driving, right? You can be driving someplace and you're in a hurry, like you gotta get someplace. And like, and you know, if you're whizzing through traffic, it's like, you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, right? And then you're on, you're on a nice Sunday stroll going home from church, you're not in a hurry at all. And someone goes whizzing past you and you're just like, where's a cop when you need one, right? It's just, you know, I, that guy should be pulled over right now. We need a little justice right now, right? And you may be calling it justice, but what you're really wanting in your heart is, you know, I want something kind of bad to happen to that person, right? Yeah, I want that, you know, like, honestly, how many of you ever had a driver that was driving around you in a way, like they cut you off or did something and you just found yourself being mad and you just, and, and if they just, you know, happen to lose a little bit of control and run off into the ditch and, you know, bang up their car a little bit, that you'd be like, serves you, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's kind of malice, right? That's not love. That's, and what he's saying is like, so where do you pick that stuff up? Are there moments where, where you like feel a little bit of, of that? Um, I've, I felt that this week. In fact, I was listening to a podcast of something that went on uh, years and years ago. And, uh, and it was kind of in the whole uh, church world thing. And I, I knew a lot of uh, behind the scenes things of what was going on in the, in the country and with the evangelical church at that time. And I knew some of the characters in this. And I found myself at a few times being like, oh yeah, that like, and, all, and like kind of being happy at some things that went wrong with a few people and, and realized, whoa, what, like, what's going on right now? And the truth is like, it's just something even from years ago, I was just frustrated over. And out of my frustration, I just, it like I felt justified if something not so good happened to that person. Ever 
have a moment where maybe someone hurt you. And, and it's not to say that hurting you was okay. It's that in our hurt, like we want them to hurt back. That's malice. And what he's saying is, start with hope. What would you really hope in Christ? You know, I'd hope for me is that, I, that my heart would actually find goodness for that person. And then it's to act in faith. Like, is there something that I can do differently in this? And does that action like turn into a kind of expression of love in there? That's what he's saying, put it away. Uh, he goes on, he talks about deceit. And you know, deceit is uh, simply that act of lying, right? Or deceiving somebody else. And you think about deceit, um, how often uh, we do this and probably don't even know it. You know, research uh, points out that most human beings uh, lie uh, on, a, on a very regular basis, uh, daily. And it's just like, well, no, I wasn't lying. Well, it's like, it's a thing. Like, like this is just who we are. There are moments where, and it's, and it's because there's something we're trying to reshape something or we're trying to convince somebody of something or, right? We're, and, and sometimes it comes out of our insecurities. Sometimes it comes out of our fears. How many of you have ever been late uh, for some place? And the reason you were late, you just felt like, eh, that's a lousy reason for being late. And you found yourself explaining a reason for why you were late that really had nothing to do with why you were late, but it was a much better reason to be late, right? That's just, yeah, that's just being deceptive. It's just, and it just like happens in moments. And here's, here's the exhausting thing about this. If we, if we get into a pattern of this, it's like deception. Then you, then you have to kind of monitor your deceptions and you have to keep the deception going, right? So you have to think about like, okay, I've, you know, if I said that, now I've got to keep that thing going. And it can just become exhausting. It can become its own compass, like a compass unto itself if it gets out of control. And what he's saying is, right, if you find yourself in those moments that you're projecting that thing that is really being deceptive because you're, you're, you're wanting to affect how someone would think about you or something else, like, put that away, right? Find a way um, to just stop managing others and trust that like I can approach this with greater honesty because that's probably your hope. And if that's your hope, now act in faith in being a little more honest with something and you can do it in a loving way. You can do it in a way that's loving to you in a way that's loving uh, to them. He goes on, uh, hypocrisy, uh, he lists next. And you know, hypocrisy in some ways is related very much uh, to deception. It's, it, maybe it's a, a type of deception. Uh, we most often think of hypocrisy as like it's saying one thing and then uh, doing another. The, the, the literal word in Greek for hypocrisy is uh, hippocrates, and it's actually a noun, and it means an actor. It means someone that was an actor like in the Greek theater. And they would wear these masks in the theater because, you know, they didn't have like IMAG like we have where you can see them on the big screen. So if there was an important moment where they had to have a facial expression where everyone would know the facial expression, they had different masks that they could throw up to give uh, everyone in the audience would know exactly what that expression was. And so uh, in the New Testament, when they talk about being a hypocrite, like there's a part of this mask wearing thing right? Where it's like, I'm going to hide. There's going to be a part of me that I'm going to hide. I'm not going to let you see or know who I am. 
And, and you know, uh, as, especially as we develop uh, deeper and deeper relationships, if you find yourself hiding, if you find yourself always trying to manage the image that others have of you, that's gonna keep you from love. It's gonna, and it will exhaust you having to manage that. And here's the thing, when we hide like that, right? There's a part of us internal, internally, we know that what they love about us or what they're saying about us, we don't trust it because we know we haven't shown them who we really are. So start with hope. Wouldn't you hope that someone could see you for who you are, even see the flaws of who you are and still love you? Yeah, because Christ loves you that way. So act in faith. Act in a way that is maybe more revealing or vulnerable in an appropriate way with whatever that relationship is, right? And, and, and express it in love and see where God takes it, right? That, like that will be such a better way to live in this. Uh, the next one he talks about is envy. And of course, envy is just being resentful of what someone else has or what someone else is, right? Whether it's their skills or talents or whatever. Um, and we just, and, and we all have had moments where we're just like, we find that thing that is envious in us about someone else. And at the root of that, uh, there's this thing of just not trusting that God has given us enough or not trusting that God has made us enough. And, and with envy, uh, we can get caught in envy. And here's the problem with envy is it keeps us, right, from seeing and working on how Christ has made us enough, has given us enough. Because then, right, all your energy and focus can just be on someone else and what they're doing. And so what he's saying is put that away. Put that away. Wouldn't your hope be that you could experience that you're actually enough and have enough? Like that's a, that's a wonderful place to be. So act in faith in that. And that faith question, how would I act if I really did think I was enough, right? What would you say? What would you do? What would you think about the things that you have, right? Like it would, you would live in a different way. You might even be able to love that person that you're envious of, of right? One way to put this aside is to learn how to embrace your enoughness, right? I know that's not a real word, but you know what I mean by this. Learn how to embrace your enoughness in this. Last thing, last thing in this list, and this one's super important, uh, slander. And you know, when we think of slander, slander is making that false statement about someone. We think about liable as like writing uh, something that is untrue about someone else. But here's the bottom line on slander. Uh, you, you can define it any way you want technically, but at the end of the day, the practical understanding is slander is just about tearing someone down. It's about using your words in whatever way to tear someone else down. And I think about this one as being so important because we live in a day and an age with the internet where so many things get put out there. Think about all the posts all the things said and portrayed that, that we see uh, in the internet and even not on the internet, just, you, you know, wherever. But think of the amount of things that are said that are just tearing somebody else down. And maybe ask yourself, like, 
Do I participate in that in times? Are, are there times where I am quick to throw something out, to respond to something in a way? And the truth is, it's just tearing somebody down. It's jumping on a bandwagon with some other people, but, I, but I'm playing a role in just tearing somebody down. And you may feel like, okay, but there's truth in this. Okay, that, right? That doesn't mean that it's not slander. You can use truth in a slanderous way because of how it tears somebody down, how it defines them in some way. Friends, um, like this is worth saying, especially in the culture that we're in. Uh, there is no such thing as righteous slander. But I can tell you, we could throw up a religious compass and justify, uh, come up with a way to say this is righteous slander, couldn't we? Like religion gives you that ability to do that. We see that in the New Testament. And what Peter is saying is if you understand what Jesus was teaching, if you understand what true north is, if you pick up slander in some way, that's not true north. Like start with hope, act in faith, and express love, right? Um, I think about what Christ said. Christ said, for out of the heart, the mouth speaks. And here's my challenge to all of us on this one with slander, right? If out of the heart, the mouth speaks or the mouth, or, or we write, the hand writes, whatever it is. Um, my challenge is this, wrestle with your words, yourself, before you have somebody else wrestle with them. Before you just throw something out and go, that's just truth, I'm taking a stand, I'm doing whatever. Wrestle with them first. Take this compass out and ask yourself, if I start with hope on this subject, on this issue, and I were to act in faith and seek to express love, would that change these words? Do that before before you put that out there. Because if we did that, I think it would change the tenor of things in so many ways. I think if we did that as followers of Christ, it would give us a louder, more powerful voice in the midst of the world we live in. I think it would advance the cause of Christ in amazing ways. And you know what else it would do for you and for me? I think it would strengthen our relationships. It would strengthen our families and our marriages uh, all over the place in the most beautiful of ways. So move beyond religion and grab a hold of a compass, a Christ compass, and may it be your moral guide for how you live your faith and relationship out with Christ in this world. Why don't you stand? And I'll close this in prayer uh, here this morning. Um, and I just want to invite all of you back to our series or to our uh, series that we start next week as we launch our new theme. You don't want to uh, miss that. Let me, let me pray. Father, we just uh, thank you so much for uh, the words that Peter uh, wrote out and just the insight and the guidance it has and the way it pulls us back to trusting in you and hoping in you and seeking to live with your love. And we pray this in your son's name, amen. Have a great morning. See you next week.